Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. All right. So today's case is brought to you by Diet Coke. Sponsor us. <laughs> right. Just going to throw it out there. Why not? Shoot her a shot. So today's case is about Dorothy Donovan. So that's the victim in this case. And at the time that she was murdered, she was 70 years old. Seven zero. Seven zero. So she was born on May 18th, 1921 in Burrsville, Maryland. And she did have two different marriages. She had four children from her first marriage. And this was uh, with a man last named Holden. He unfortunately suffered a heart attack early on. I think he was early 40s. Uh, her second marriage also ended in, uh, I believe, the, the her husband passed away from a stroke or something uh, unforeseen, I guess. Okay, so she had a total of four children. Uh, that was Brenda, Diana, and Charles Holden. And she didn't have any kids with her second marriage. That's as much as we know about Dorothy. We don't know much about her earlier life or anything like that. It's not going to be relevant in this case. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, even if I, I did try to dig deeper, I couldn't find anything else. Okay. On the evening, very late evening, almost into the morning of uh, June 23rd of 1991, she was living in Delaware at this time, in Harrington, Delaware. She was at home. She lived on a big plot of land. And on this plot of land, she not only had her home, but there was also a home that her son Charles was living in. Charles was a full-blown adult at this time, but unfortunately he had incurred a lot of debt, farm debt, and he had to move in with his mother on her plot of land. Okay. I'm going to skip to it, and then I'll come back to what may have happened. Okay. Dorothy was dead, right? Okay. Dorothy was dead. She was in her bed. She had been stabbed a total of 26 times. There was a broken window on the back door of her house. Absolutely nothing was disturbed in the home. Not a picture frame knocked over. As soon as you were to walk in or from the trajectory, the path from where the door was broken to the bedroom... Her handbag, her brown leather handbag, would have been very visible. It was zipped up completely, not even touched. So it was very clearly not a robbery. Yeah. It seemed very personal just because stabbing, we know, is a personal type of attack. 26 times, it seems very aggravated and uh, overkill to a certain extent. Uh, The 26 stabbings were majority in her torso, both sides, And there was four or five in her face. She was in bed on her back. There was a pillow over her face. And her legs were positioned to where it would seem at first sight that they had been a sexual assault. Okay. Uh, Obviously, goes without saying, she was covered in blood, 26 stab wounds. Um, She was DOA when cops and medics arrived at the house. And right off the bat, they realized that obviously there's a lot of blood in the house, in the room. Her bedroom was upstairs and they did notice that there was light or blood on the light switch. 
and there was a handprint slash palm print on the banister leading up to the second bedroom or leading down from the from the upstairs. So they obviously took this evidence in. Who had called the police was actually her son, Charles Holden. He had called the police from a nearby payphone asking them to come check out the house. They interviewed him after they had found his mom and said, you know, where were you? What do you know? Also, do you like, know anything? Why, why would we randomly just come check out a house? So why he had called the police that evening, because he told an incredible story. He said that after he had gotten off of work at 11 p.m., he stopped at Hardy's to get a coffee and a burger. And when he was walking out, there was a man outside with big, chunky, oversized glasses that was asking for a ride from people. That he had come up to him and asked Charles for a ride. He had first said no because he knew that he was trying to get home. And the guy insisted and told him that he was trying to get to one town over to Georgetown to a hospital that was there because he wanted to be there with his sister. His sister was about to give birth. Okay. So then Charles felt some type of way and said, hey, listen, man, I probably, this is not a direct quote, (laughs) but he said, I can't take you all the way to Georgetown, way out of my way, but I can give you a ride as much as I can, and I'll drop you off there, and then you pick it up from there, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you a ride as much as I can. So Charles said that he picked up this man. They were riding together, and about a half a mile away from his home, Charles stopped the truck and told him, hey, this is as far as I can take you. You need to get out now. And the hitchhiker got mad. And Charles, I guess, said he didn't really know why he was so upset because he had already told him, I'm going to take you as far as I can take you. Yeah. And so the guy got so mad, he started attacking Charles. And he was demanding his his money and the keys to the truck. Okay. And so in the heat of the moment, Charles did what he thought was the right thing, which is grab the keys himself and run out of the truck. The guy, the hitchhiker, then grabbed the screwdriver from the floor mm-hmm. in the truck, went around and had a physical altercation with Charles outside, cornered him with the screwdriver, threatening him, and told him to get back in the truck and to continue the ride all the way to Georgetown. So Charles said that he obviously was being threatened, so he got back in the truck, and while the hitchhiker was going around the truck to get back in the passenger seat, he took off. Without the hitchhiker. Right. So he was so frazzled by this interaction. You know, mm-hmm. he was trying to do a good deed. He was so frazzled by it that he's like, I'm so close to home. I'm going to drive around. So he doesn't know where I live. Mm-hmm. Because I'm only half a mile away from home. So he said he drove around for 40 minutes. Okay. And when he was driving back home... When he got to his house, which is from where he had originally tried to drop off the guy, it would have been two turns before he got to his house. Okay. So not like a straight shot, but not also, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Not impossible to find. uh, Kind of. Okay. So. Okay. he, He said he drove home and his trailer was on the front part of the property and he said that he saw the same guy that he had given a ride to just walking around the property 
So this is when he said he went back to the payphone and made the call to the police saying, hey, I need someone to come help me check out my property and make sure that he's not in there when I try to go in there. So the police came out and they helped him clear his house. There's no one in there. And then he said, can you also check on my mom's house? So How would this hitchhiker know all of this stuff? So they checked the mom's house mm-hmm. and immediately they saw the glass was broken. Wow, and they what went a coincidence. In, and they went and saw the blood and discovered the mom DOA. So Dorothy was, that's when she was discovered dead. As soon as he saw that his mom was killed, he said, he did it. I can't believe he came here and did it. And of course the cops are like, wait, what? Who? What? So they of course put him in interrogation room. They're trying to figure this out. The cops, just like you and I right now, are like, dude, come on, tell us the truth. Yeah. You know, what is really going on here? How did you just happen to call us when your mom is dead in there, brutally murdered? Yeah. And you're telling us this fantastical story that doesn't really make sense. Oh, no. Is it actually the hitchhiker? Then now in my brain, I'm like, how is she tricking me? <laughs> how is she tricking me? Um, so they ask him to take a polygraph test. He refuses. He is not taking a polygraph test. They were able to test the blood right away on the light switch. And it's not his blood. And but here's another weird thing. A accidental death life policy had just been taken out on the mom two months prior, naming him the beneficiary, Charles. And we learned before, he has a lot of debt from his previous ventures. So there's definitely a possible motive there. So something's not fitting right with the cops. Like, you must know more. Maybe you didn't actually do it, but you must know more. So with him completely saying no to the polygraph test and to saying no to, you know, uh, anything else on this, there is not much more to go on. Mm-hmm. There is not a string of burglaries for right. them to follow leads on or anything. They go back to the Hardys and they get witnesses that say there was a man outside asking for a ride. And with their help and his help, Charles' help, they put together a sketch of who this possible person was. And the sketch is... He's an African-American guy with thick black rim glass, big rim glasses. And the cops put together a photo lineup. This is important, a photo lineup. So they, they're using pictures that they have from previous arrests, right? Mm-hmm. They put a photo lineup together. They show it to Charles. He chooses a guy, Richard Mitchell. And then they take it to the three eyewitnesses from the Hardys. And they also, all three point out Richard Mitchell. Richard Mitchell is a career criminal. He has been in and out of jail for forgery and petty theft. Mm -hmm. That's why they had his mugshot, right, to put in this lineup. So they go knocking on Richard Mitchell's door, and they're like, hey, you've just been pointed out by four people that you were the person outside of this Hardee's asking for a ride. Mm -hmm. As soon as they brought him in, the detectives are like, well, it wasn't him. Because unless he defied the rules of beard science, he had a full-grown beard 
when everyone, all four people said that the person at Hardee's was clean shaven. And it had just been like. And it's just been a week. So unless and he, he was grew like a full Santa beard, Claus style. Yeah. Okay. Unless he grew a full beard in a week. It'd be some pretty fast be, growing. Right. Some serious testosterone going right. through your body. It's like, hey, I committed a crime. Let me just let this one grow out for once. Yeah. Like, give me a couple days. He's like doing all this, like rubbing uh, <laughs> oils and yeah. stuff on his beard. <laughs> so not only was he had a full beard, um, he had a complete solid alibi that he wasn't there. And then even though obviously I think the beard would have absolved him, they took a palm print and compared it to the palm print at the scene and it was not a match. And just it goes not without saying I have to say it, but the palm print also was not a match to Charles. So now this case goes cold. Okay. This person is completely absolved literally by the hairs on his chinny chin chin. So nothing came along. And it wasn't until 2006 that Delaware was actually getting on board with CODIS, mm-hmm. which I, I think that's the name maybe probably for the system just here in the U.S. I don't know if it's international, but it's a system where DNA samples are put yeah. into and it gets matched into, you know, possible other hits. Uh, so it wasn't until 2006 that the detectives reopened the case by putting in the sample sample. What a sample. 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 A sample. It was until 2006 to, um, when they were able to finally submit the sample into CODIS. And, of course, you know, they're, they one of those things where they just thought they were going to enter it and see what happens and we'll go from there. A week and a half went by. That's it. Before they got a hit. Dang. So, pretty fast for what was at that time newer technology. Yeah. And... You know, I don't think people realize that like you literally don't put in just like a DNA sample and it's like an automated system where it's like ding, like right. no, pops it's up. not like, CSI it's not... type stuff. Like CSI. no, the show Z- CSI is like zoom in, zoom in more, zoom in more. Yeah, <laughs> to something super grainy. Oh yeah, and they like depixelate it and everything. Yeah. Like that. it's like oh okay, like zoom in, enhance, zoom in, enhance. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, we have an HD quality picture. Right. So. Lucky for the Delaware detectives, what had happened was that in 2004, uh, the person that hit on this was Gilbert Cannon, Gilbert E. Cannon. He was also a criminal, a career criminal. He had a, he had previous arrests for drugs and robbery. And in 2006, when this hit was made on CODIS, there was no actual knowledge of his current location. So... Where that sample came from was when he was getting released in 2004 from for one of these charges. I think it was procedure for them to take a sample. I don't know if it's because of the degree of the offense they committed or whatnot. There was there. I'm trying to uh, racking my brain here, but there was something where if you were committed of a certain type of crime, a violent felony, I think that you automatically like you had to get registered on that. Yeah, you had to administer a DNA t- sample. And, if see, I remember and, right. and it's probably the robbery that you know, if it was aggravated robbery or you yeah, know, armed robbery or, or something, something like that. Like that yeah. It's probably what qualified him to get put into the system. So, um, although he was released in 2004, that's when the sample was collected that was able to make the hit. So, although they didn't know his address or where he could. 
find, you know, where he could be found at. They eventually found him about two and a half weeks later after that hit, 40 miles south of where Dorothy's home was at his girlfriend's house. They brought him in, and there's snippets of his interview uh, available, but the gist of it is he, first two hours, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea who this woman is. I have no idea what this attack is, et cetera, et cetera. He's completely pleading ignorance about this whole thing. And then they ask him for a palm print and they matched it while he was still there. Unequivocally, that was his palm print. Okay. And now so... The palm print, you said that they found blood on the light switch and then they found a palm print on the the banister a bloody palm it was bloody okay that's what i wanted to make sure of so he said uh, so at that point he was still denying everything and now the detectives had not only what it's almost seen as a fail proof dna match but now they also have his palm print at the scene right his bloody palm print at the scene and his you know his blood and Mm -hmm. his print so while they have him in a holding cell, which I think this was just a tactic of the defective uh, detectives to like wear him down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So while he was in a holding cell, he knocked on the window and asked for the detectives and he was ready to talk. So they sat back into the room and he had been in that holding cell for three hours. So he had three hours to think to himself, what's my game plan here? They have DNA and a palm print on me. And they also pulled his early 90s mugshots and they were to the T, like the composite sketch of what they had seen that night at Hardy's. So obviously he looked a little different now because 15 years had passed. Yeah. But his early 90s mugshots, since this was a 1991 right. murder, um, they matched up perfectly. So he sat down and he finally told them everything. He said that he was at Hardy's that night. He said he was high on crack cocaine. And he had been asking people for a ride into Georgetown, not because his sister was about to give birth and he wanted to be there as a very loving, supporting brother, but because he knew that's where he was going to get his next score. So he mm-hmm. knew he needed to get 25 miles away from, from that town and to, to get his next um, hit. So he was asking people for rides, and finally Charles came along and offered to take him at least part of the way. And he told almost the exact same story that Charles did and said that he had gotten in the truck. They rode a bit. And then when Charles asked him to get out, he got really mad at him and he's high and he found a screwdriver at the bottom of their feet. He got out, threatened him with it, told him to get back in. Then he that's when Charles sped off without him. But here's where it gets weird. He said he just started walking. Yeah, so that was my question is, how in yep. the world did he find these places? So he said that he just started walking. He was he had given up on the fact that he was going to get to Georgetown that night. At this point, it's almost like midnight or a little past midnight. So he starts walking. He's cold. He wants to just sleep it off. Yeah. And he said he just starts walking, and he's got in his mind that he's going to break into the first home he sees with their lights off to sleep for the night so for a half a mile he's walking past all these other homes that have lights on and it's not till he comes across dorothy's home which has all the lights off and because it was on a big property 
because she was the back house and the front house, which was Charles, the trailer had lights on. He was going to go break into that back house. And he said he broke in. He broke the glass on the back window. So they lived, their houses butted up to each other, basically. A little bit, yes. They were on the same plot of land, but not a farmland either. It was just a So the son literally did see him walking around the house. So he broke the glass on the back door, snuck, you know, put his hand in, which is where the detectives think he cut himself and that's why his blood was at the scene. Yeah. And he said that he obviously woke up Dorothy, saw her at the top top of the stairs, and he proceeded to, like, follow her down because he said he was afraid that she was going to be able to identify him. Keep in mind, he's high. So in his mind, he thought that she had seen him well enough where she would have been able to identify him. Yeah. So he said that he followed her up there, pushed her down into the bed, and that's where he stabbed her. With the screwdriver, <gasps> he had he still stolen, had the screwdriver. Yep, that he had stolen from Charles's Ouch. truck. So she was weird coincidence killed with her son's screwdriver. I okay, so I I was scrolling through Instagram today, and there was this BuzzFeed thing that was like, name your one in a million story, right? So it was yeah. like chance of chance of chance like starts up to a line yeah yeah, that things would pan out the way they panned out this wins Mm -hmm. this wins the buzzfeed so he when he was told by the detectives because at this point they're trying to figure out is this just like an incredible coincidence or did was there something more about this he said, did you know that was the the mom to the guy who gave you a ride that night? Yeah. He absolutely did not know. Had no idea. He had no idea that he had stumbled into his mom's house and that he had anything to do with that lady. So at that point, detectives cleared Charles of any suspicion. Because he'd never actually been brought up on no they never brought him up on anything because it wasn't his blood at the scene of interest right it was it wasn't his palm print at the scene so they and the hardy's witnesses did put someone outside Mm -hmm. although obviously they couldn't identify him but nonetheless they finally absolved him of any wrongdoing in this case but so here's where it gets little tricky or because that's where most podcast papers articles leave it off i did a little more searching so i found some of the court documents for gilbert cannon's defense okay and his defense had (laughs) you want to get fantastical they went another step deeper so they're alleging their defense theory was that he was in cahoots with charles and that Charles took him all the way home, was going to pay him off from the life insurance policy because he had found someone that was high. Murder for hire. Yep. And that he drove around for 40 minutes to build his alibi. And then came you back can't and paid build an phone. alibi if nobody sees you driving around. So, um, but just the fact that he was like, he hired someone so it wouldn't be like if something was left behind, you know, his DNA, his etc so because of the pillow on her face Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because it wasn't suffocation or anything. Right. Um, that was one of their theories that because he knew who he was killing, like a lot of killers do, they will cover their victim if they know who they're killing or who they've killed. Like put a blanket over them. But put a, would he actually? Well, like, he knew who. No. Who he was killing you. That's not me? the same thing, though. That's like a real stretch because when yeah. you cover their faces, it's because you have it's a, like a relationship or, with right. them. Just so because you the know th- their name doesn't mean you actually know them. So, although that was the theory, I'm not sure whether or not they presented that to court, but it is written on the court documents. So, I don't know exactly how that played out, but eventually he did plead guilty um, to take the plea bargain of life instead of death. Got it. So he is imprisoned. Um, he he didn't put up much more of a fight because he like we know he yeah. recanted his denial and said yep it was me and here's the whole story. Um, but it's interesting that coincidence that he's like you know yeah are you aware like, that this is a hitchhiker a crazy like the way he tells the story I'm like yeah. okay right because that's for for years and years you know there was. A suspicion on Charles because they're like, come on, dude, you picked up a hitchhiker, you had a little fight, yeah, you drove around for 40 minutes, and then he just so happened to be wandering at your house without knowing where you right. live, and then you call the cops and tell them to check your home and your mom's home, like, like why your mom's, it was so weird, so just the coincidences of, of all this, um, the twists and turns of it, because you're like, well, did Charles do it? Because there is a life insurance policy, and you know, he did have debt. Um, so luckily, this is not, you know, a case that the cops rushed to close up and did not, although probably could have looked a little harder for the possible culprit or, you know, to clear out this Hardy story. Yeah. They didn't botch anything uh, as far as putting the wrong person in jail, whether that be Charles or... Um, Richard Mitchell, which is the guy initially pointed out in the lineup. So luckily they didn't do any of that at the beginning of it. And then because who knows, maybe they would have never put the DNA sample into into CODIS to figure out or absolve someone of of the full crime. It's just an amazing coincidence. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the story of the crazy story. The unbelievable yet it happened story of a hitchhiker that got a ride, got thrown out, and then went and killed the person That's who gave him the, the ride's crazy, mom. <laughs> like, what would be the odds of that? I don't know. What are the, like, I... And, and the thing is, that's odd. It's like, it's half a mile. Half a mile is significant. If if anyone needs to, like, visually see it, like, walking, it would be two times around a soccer field or two times around a track. Um or and he just happened to turn the right direction twice and it just so happened that he the mom had her lights off that's just crazy mm-hmm. what the heck <laughs> that's a good not, one not yeah. quite eastburn but we're it's, it's, it's a good one it's a good one it's a good one it's like <laughs> i like want to know the math on that i know can you imagine no i mean charles knew right off the bat he's like oh my god he killed my mom yeah, that's the crazy thing is he's like, will you go check on my mom's? Like, why would you think to send right. the police over to your mom's house? Right. Just, I mean, I know uh, he saw him or saw someone walking around the property, but it's like, 
what would be the reason for somebody like that to break into your mom's house, yeah. you know? Like, in my head, I'd be like, okay, but he doesn't know that that's my mom's And house. I can't imagine, in the cold, and he was high, how long, so time-wise, Delaware, so okay. how long it would have taken him to walk half a mile, let's say you walk the slowest, like, 15, 16-minute miles. Yeah. Or 20-minute miles. Yeah. So maybe 10 minutes it took him to walk half a mile. Uh, okay, well, Charles said he drove around for 40 minutes trying to, like, make sure he didn't go home and get followed home. Mm-hmm. So that gave him possibly a full 30 minutes before... Yeah. Because possi- when Charles came back and saw him, he was probably leaving. Weird. Because Charles went back and, you know, put a quarter in and used Crazy. the payphone. Yeah, coincidences are great. Bizarre. They blow your mind. They blow my mind. <sighs> yeah. Oh, do you want to do a What the Florida? Oh, I have sure. a good one. Yeah. No, I like, I throw them in periodically because people constantly remind me that we used to do What the Florida's and they miss them. So yeah. like, do a What the Florida. They are fun. So, in today's What the Florida. Florida man arrested for tossing alligator into Wendy's drive through window. What? Um, <laughs> a man was arrested Monday for allegedly tossing a live alligator through the drive through window of a Wendy's restaurant in Loxahatchee, Florida. According to Palm Beach County officials and the Florida <laughs> Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Oh, he's actually a decent looking guy. Okay. 23-year-old Josh Douglas James of Jupiter, Florida, admitted to officials that he picked up the American alligator on the side of the road. He later threw it from his white pickup truck into the Wendy's kitchen after ordering a large soft drink. As payment? I have or no like- idea. It like doesn't say like he was mad about something or anything. He just was like, all right, this seems like a good place for it. Skin this up. This is worth a good couple yeah. hundred bucks and boots. That's the alligator on the floor. Oh, that's not little. No, it's like, it's a it's an oh. alligator. I would literally lose my mind. That's not little. Like, he looks oh. normal, right? Like eh, Got a little white set eyes, but like, okay. He, like, he looks like he's, like, done a few lines <laughs> of, like, not crack cocaine, but cocaine. Like, <laughs> like But, like, yeah, that's a that's a whole ass alligator. What was he thinking? Like, okay, know. sir, your pop's going to be $2.60. Like, like, here's he, an alligator. You think <laughs> he asked even. for, like, a regular and they gave him a diet <laughs> or something like that? Like, maybe... When no. you get the wrong soda, it's pretty upsetting. It is pretty upsetting. Yeah. And I'm over here like, mm, I know the difference. Can you change it, please? Not throwing oh, an literally. alligator in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to, like, toss an alligator through. Also, like, I'm assuming he had the it in the back of his truck, so he literally had to get out of his truck, go around, pull it out of the bed of his truck, and throw it into the... Like, dude lifts. Like, he's <laughs> he's been working on his fitness, okay? Like... Ugh. Um, I mean, he could also have been a a, a front passenger, like a co-passenger. I alligator. doubt. I doubt. <laughs> There's no way. They said he... Oh, wait. No. What did he start doing at that point? Like, what do Floridians do? There's no way he has a pickup truck and he has the alligator in the front of his truck with him. What, like, do, that's just what do they do at that point? They're like, oh, God. Give Not again. Some- Give them some fries. We'll call the cops. You run zigzagged <laughs> so they can't get you. No, you, t- you run on top of that damn counter or something That's, at that point. They can jump. You know they can jump, right? No. Yeah, they can leap up. They in have the- little chub no, legs. No, they can leap up to grab things out of the air. 
I need to YouTube this. I mean, have you ever seen um, freaking Robert Irwin trying no, to feed the no. crocodiles and stuff like that? They literally come up out of the water like to grab stuff out of his hands. Do they, they, do they balance no, on they their tails? they don't jump up. They, like, they just like projectile out of the water. They look like a missile going upwards. Mm, mm, they yeah, don't no, jump. They're like you. not hopping. But they can they can get some air in their upper body. I wonder if this is like an official form of payment in Florida, though. Like maybe I can say as somebody that goes to Florida frequently <laughs> that that is not. Um, like you, they just b- prefer to steal your identity down there and take your credit card information. Okay. All right. On that note, if you come across any crazy ones like this that have twists and turns and send them to Fatina. Roller coaster ones, please, please, please tell me because she loves I a love good rabbit those. hole. I do. So let us know. The best way to do that is if you're on Patreon, you can shoot us any case suggestions and they will go on the priority list. And that is at patreon.com forward slash stranger danger podcast. And I think that's it for today's episode. All right. That's all we got. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye.